live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day. Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party. Now, here's your host, Jordy Holtberg. What's up? How are you? Thank you so much for dialing us up in whatever form or fashion that you have. And it's great to be with you on this middle of the week, Wednesday, April 27th. The year 2022, you know, tomorrow is Thursday. And as far as Thursdays in April go, I don't know if you're going to have any better night. Uh, New Orleans' NBA team will be playing one of those important games in franchise history at the same time that the New Orleans NFL team begins one of its most important drafts in recent years. And we're going to have you covered on both ends of the spectrum here today my main man james mesh back in the master control suite in the game studios which are on the campus of delta media which houses klwb which is 1037 lafayette we're also on in our great friends at 1041 in lake charles we are simulcast on stadium in the uh, lafayette area Uh, stadium 32.3 and 133 on lus fiber and we're streaming everywhere on 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com so you have multitudes of opportunities uh, to dial us up each and every day from 2 to 4 p.m uh boy uh in a make or miss league the sun's made the Pelicans missed, and the Suns, thanks to a 32-21st to 21st quarter advantage, never looked back with a 112-97 15-point win over the Pelicans in Phoenix last night to gain a three-games-to-two advantage. Turnovers early. I thought Willie Green said it best as he was mic'd up in the huddle. I don't recognize this team. Who is this? What are we doing? What are we doing? Um, Pelicans shoot it 40% from the field. A miserly 5 of 25 from downtown. Phoenix, meanwhile, shot 50% from the floor, 37% from downtown, and... They got the better of it. Chris Paul had a bounce-back game, 22 points, 11 assists in 39 minutes. But it was Michael Bridges who carried the load as he went 12 of 17 from the field, a perfect 4 for 4 from downtown, 3 for 3 from the stripe, ended up with 31 points. It's a make-or-miss league. The Suns made, the Pelicans missed. Pelicans looked like they were uh, slow to get out the gate. And again, another subpar performance shooting-wise from C.J. McCollum. Yeah, he ended up with 21 points, one behind team leader uh, Brandon Ingram. But McCullum took 22 shots. He, He only made seven of them. 
That's about 32%. He was only one for eight from three-point land. For the Pelicans to win, both Ingram and McCullum have to put bigger numbers up on the board. It's plain and simple. Game five tomorrow night from the blender. Christian Clark will join us here in a few minutes to share his thoughts on this. Uh, It's a huge, huge game. It's a sellout. It's going to be a sellout. And um, I fully expect the Pelicans to play a lot better. I think Chris Paul's tired, but he's still a gamer. Um, And we'll see. Elimination game. The Suns, remember, won 64 regular season games. The Pelicans only 36. Big difference. Big, big difference. But without Devin Booker, certainly Phoenix is a little bit more normal. But everybody on the Pelicans team is going to have to play a heck of a lot better tomorrow to extend this to a Game 7. Blake Topmeyer from the USA Network will join us. He covers the SEC in football. We'll get his thoughts on what he has seen from the spring games around the conference. Is there anyone going to be able to hang with Alabama in the West? Is anybody going to be able to hang with Georgia in the East? And what does he think of LSU? Well, we'll talk about that with Blake. Uh, In hour number two, it'll be all NFL draft talk. We'll get a variety of um, ideas from one, Ralph Marborough, two, Jeff Duncan, and three, nationally with Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports. Uh, So we'll go A to Z on the draft. Was not a good night last night for LSU baseball. Their four-game win streak came to a close. They lost to the UNO Privateers 9-4. to four. Second verse, same as the first. LSU committed two costly errors, issued nine walks, and left nine runners on base. LSU wasn't ready to play. UNO was. And the Tigers got beat and beat handily. Handily. And by this time, with all these games under their belt, LSU's not all of a sudden going to become a great defensive club. They are who they are. They're 27 and 13 now. They'll try to get back on the winning track Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when they host 16th ranked Georgia this weekend. There are no gimmies. There are no easy ones in the league, but LSU's going to have to hit the ball better. They're not going to be able to rely on their defense pictures throw the ball they force balls to be hit in the field and lsu will cough them up that's just the way it goes and timely untimely errors uh with runners and on base that that lead to run scored so um it's, uh, it's just just costly very costly tigers lose it nine to four um, eight earned runs, one unearned run. UNO was just better. Just a better team on that night, plain and simple. LSU softball, um, back in the swing of things. They took on a, the Lady Cowgirls of McNeese and uh, just had one of those nights. They out hit McNeese 9-3. to three. They had four extra base hits, including three home runs increasing their total to 55 out the ballparkers this season. Uh, Taylor Pleasance led the way with two hits and four runs batted in, and they 
10 run, 10 1 run rule win over McNeese. So now Beth Tarina's Tigers are 31 and 17 overall, 10 and 8 in Southeastern Conference play, and they have a huge three game home series against ninth ranked Florida. Ninth ranked Florida. Very happy for my boy Nick Brassett, U High Cub, former LSU running back. He has been, uh, he's joined Brian Kelly's staff as the director of alumni relations and the high school outreach. Um, Charlie Baglia, long time, great high school coach, held that role for years and years. He's the liaison between the head coach of LSU and all the head coaches out there in the state of Louisiana. And that's what Nick Brassett's going to do. Um, Brassett played from 2015 to 2018. He had uh, a thousand yards. Um, in LSU's 2018 Fiesta Bowl run. So I think hiring from within um, is a good thing. I think coaches and players around here remember Nick Brassett, and I think he will do a wonderful job. Who's going to take the place of Mark Emmert? Because the former um, head of LSU and the current NCAA president since October 2010 uh, is stepping down as the president of the NCAA. He'll remain in this position until a new president is hired or until June of 2023, whichever comes first. Highly scrutinized. Highly scrutinized. I don't know if you can win in that position, but um, again, I think just like Coaches are getting out of the business. I think Mark Emmert's getting out of the business because I just think he's had enough. Um, the NCAA facing all kinds of criticism from gen gender inequity uh, to rules enforcement to strategies in legal cases, including an antitrust case in which the Supreme Court last June ruled unanimously against the NCAA. Nobody thinks highly of that of that organization. No one. Absolutely no one. Now they're going to have to find someone else to run it. I have no idea who the best person possible for that job is. I have no earthly clue. We shall see. We shall see. Um, LSU defensive lineman Joseph Evans entered the transfer portal. No surprise there. He hasn't been on the uh, with the team since October. He hasn't practiced, wasn't on the roster this spring. So no big surprise there. All right. Those are your headlines of the day. We're brought to you by Eon. Eon is smarter body contouring. The first robotic touchless laser body contouring device for non-invasive permanent fat loss. We'll take our first time out. Lead story. Pelicans down three games to two. Game six tomorrow night in the Smoothie King Center against the Phoenix Suns. We'll recap game five. Look ahead to what, if any, adjustments can you make now? It's a game of chess, but it's really a game of making shots or missing shots. And if you make them, you win. If you miss them, you don't. Kind of sums up game five. We'll get Christian Clark's take on the matter. After this timeout, the Jordy Helpert Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
He's been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast chair. So what's the secret to the Blonde Bomber's success? Easy. Taking time to work on his tan. You look marvelous. Back to more of the tanned and talented Jordy Holtberg on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we are back. This uh, New Orleans Pelicans report brought to you by the Aesthetic Medicine and Anti-Aging Clinics of Louisiana in Lafayette and in Baton Rouge in Lafayette, right off of Ambassador Caffrey Parkway. Become the best you. You can become hormone replacement therapy. It works. All right. The Suns seize control of the best of seven series with a 112-97 win over the Pelicans yesterday in Phoenix, uh, 32-21st to 21st quarter lead, and the Suns never looked back. Christian Clark covers the Pels for NOLA.com, joins us now. Christian, hi. Uh, thanks for the time, man. I greatly appreciate it. A late night, I know it was for you, but um, kind of sum up game five for me. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I think, like, that was probably – the best the Suns played from from start to finish, I think, so far in the series. And, I mean, I thought Mikhail Bridges was pretty much just dominant. I mean, that was an absolutely incredible performance from him. I mean, he he played 47 minutes. He was pretty much out there for all but but one minute of that game. I mean, a monster on defense. And then getting 31 from him, um, I mean, he was just – he kind of just dominated that game. Yeah, I, no question uh, about that. Uh, he was, um, that was the guy that, gee whiz, who are you going <laughs> to, who's going to pick up the slack? He certainly did. Um, I'm not being critical, but I've said it throughout the course of this series. We have not seen the best of C.J. McCullum, and he had another poor shooting night, about 32% from the field, one for eight from behind the arc. Uh, for the Pels to have a chance to win this series, he's got to, He's got to step up. He's got to start knocking down shots with more consistency, don't you believe? No, you're, I think you're right about that. I mean, it was you know tough shooting night for him. I mean, anytime Bridges has been on him, I think CJ has struggled with with some of that length. But I mean, when I looked at that game last night, I thought he just I thought he just missed some makeable ones, especially around yeah. the basket. I mean, he's he's got a pretty good floater game a lot of the time. Um, he just missed a lot of those shots, especially around the rim. I mean, you know, the, the pull up threes, I think those kind of come and go. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's just gotta be better. I mean, you're, you're right. They're just, they're not going to win the series unless he shoots the ball better. Yeah. No question about that. It just, um, Willie green said it best. They had him mic'd up in the huddle in a, during the timeout. And he said, I don't recognize this team. What are we doing? Um, we're not defending. We're making one pass and we're shooting. Uh, I thought defensively, man, things were just so easy for Phoenix, particularly early on. Too many, too many turnovers. The Pels settled down in that stat uh, throughout the rest of the game. But early on, man, they turned it over and Phoenix took advantage. I, I just thought their defense was a step behind last night for some reason. Yeah, I think like one of the interesting things, too, was they, they tried to pick – Chris Paul up full court um, for most of the game. That was something that, that obviously worked well in game four. And I, I felt like they kept getting in these situations where, you know, it worked a few times, especially later in the game, but they got in these situations where Paul just kind of beat them down the court and then the Suns were playing five on four. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be something specific that's going to be interesting to monitor in game six. Uh, but, you know, the Suns also just made some shots. I mean, they 
I think, 10 threes last night. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I tweeted during the game, like, it, it really stings that they, the Pelicans didn't win the game when, when Phoenix shot four of 26 from three. Like, those are the games you just, you know, you kind of have to win if you want to beat a really good team, which which Phoenix is. I mean, like, Bridges, four four from three made shots. Uh, mm-hmm. Cam Johnson played a little bit better. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the Pelicans can be better, but to me, I mean, I thought the Suns just played really well last night. I'm with you. I'd be shocked if they were able to shoot it uh, as well as they did last night coming up tomorrow. I mean, 50% from the field, 37% from downtown, 80% from the free throw line. That would be uh, difficult uh, for them to duplicate, I think, especially with the raucousness that's about to uh, hit them yet again. Um, Did you notice anything different that Phoenix did to um, maybe slow Brandon Ingram down a little bit? Um, I mean, I don't think I really saw that much different. Um, I haven't gone back and watched the game yet, but I mean, I, you know, they threw different looks at them, doubled them here and there. Um, you know, I thought at times like the pocket spacing was just kind of tough and, you know, it's probably going to be the case when, when he's out there with, with Jackson Hayes and, Yo- and Jonas, both of them together. Uh, but I mean, even in, even in game four, which the Pelicans won, like I thought they can test a lot of his shots. Like he just made some ridiculous, ridiculous shots. Um, I mean, it's a high degree of difficulty what he's doing right now. Like he's just, yeah. <laughs> there aren't a lot of easy looks that he's getting. Uh, we're, we're talking with Christian Clark, who's obviously in an airport trying to get back home. <laughs> um, and that's, and I greatly appreciate your time. I really do. Um, played 10 players last night. Um, Nico Marshall, the, the fewest with seven minutes. Trey Murphy with 13. Uh, Deontay Graham with 12. Alvarado with 20. Nance with, with 20. Um, anybody think that that may be too many players? Does, um, does Is the bench going to get shortened in this situation? Or does Willie Green like, uh, like what he's got going so far? Well, I think that's kind of an interesting one. I mean, he was asked about that directly after the game, and he basically said, no, I like where we're at. Um, Willie's not a guy who always tips his hand necessarily. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I, I mean, I, the way he said it, it made me believe him. I mean, I think, you know, one adjustment you could make if you wanted to, I think it would, it would help you a little bit. It's just get rid of those Devontae minutes, baby. Like, just, just go with Jose, you know, yeah. 100% of the time with those backup yeah. point guard minutes. But, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like he's, uh, he's willing to go there. Alvarado's much better defensively, and he's been much better offensively uh, in this series. I'm with you 100%. Um, sorry, Graham. Sit down, take a rest, uh, and, and go from there. Jackson Hayes played 16 minutes. What do you think of his production? Is he? I know he's not counted upon to be a big scorer, but I, I need more rebounds out of him. I need some more blocked shots. So what, what do you think of Jackson Hayes' quality of play particularly now in uh in a one game uh win or you're done scenario i think it's just gonna be tough for him if it's a half court game and you know that that game last night was a half court game to me i mean i thought some of the best minutes he's given the pelicans in this series was was game two in the third quarter you know he had three transition dunks like he can be effective and make an impact if they're getting stops and pushing the ball but when it slows down, it's just it's just really difficult for him in this series. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, if he gets the ball in the corner, I, I just back all the way off of him. I said, go ahead and shoot it, please. Just, just go shoot it. If he puts it on the deck, those guards are coming in to get it. So I, I just think he's a liability offensively. I, I would be, um, I would be surprised if, um, you know, you, you, you give him a little bit of rest and, and you, you go with a, you know, you go with an Alvarado, go with three guards and let uh, Ingram slide down a little bit. Now create some mismatches for, for Phoenix defensively. I mean, you, I, I need more production on the court. I mean, that was one of my favorite lines they threw out in the court last night was the four starters plus Alvarado. And I, yeah. I agree that, you know, just like having that extra ball handler and, you know, a guy who, you know, can absolutely guard in the perimeter and hang despite being a five foot freaking nine uh, yeah. is really valuable for you in the series. But I just, I can't get over how, how much Jose can hang defensively and just is not a liability and, and, is able to be an impact defender most of the time at his height. I mean, it just it rarely happens in in the NBA that a guy that short is is a plus on that end. I mean, especially in his rookie year, it's it's kind of crazy, heart, man. Yeah, he just plays with a lot of heart and and um, just goes out and gives everything he's got. Christian Clark with us. I'm curious. You've seen playoff games in the Smoothie King Center. You now have seen a playoff game in Phoenix. Um, compare the two. Oof. It, I mean, it, it's it gets loud, it, you know, in the in footprint footprint center in Phoenix. But mm-hmm. it's I mean, it's just such a different vibe. I mean, the best way it was described to me, I had a Lyft driver who said that uh, Phoenix was basically the Florida of the Southwest, and I thought that was a pretty good way of putting it. There's like mm. it's like a lot of Florida men who've been like transplanted to the desert. Like that's kind of the vibe. I got you. Whereas New Orleans, it's it's New Orleanians through and through. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't need a, a guy from Dallas Fort Worth to, you know, tell you what New Orleans is about. But <laughs> all right, what, what what do you anticipate from the Pelicans? I mean, you got to get out to a quick start. You got to you cannot play from behind, particularly you know at home. You got to get a good start. You got to slow Phoenix down early. Do you? I mean, what do you anticipate from the Pels tomorrow night? Oh man. Uh... I, th- I think they're going to be able to extend it to seven. Um, I mean, I just I just like them in front of that crowd, and yeah. uh, I mean, you need some th- you need some threes to go down and just like yes. loosen things up for for Brandon Ingram. I mean, you know, I think I, I expect CJ to to have a stronger game than he did in five. I mean, he just he really struggled, um, but you gotta you gotta make life a little bit easier for Brandon because I mean, he's just. Like the degree of difficulty is incredibly high for him um, right now. So just he's, you know, loosen up the court and make some outside yeah. shots. He, he's he's got to work so hard. If I were the coach, I would draw up um, set plays early on. I, I'd get CJ McCollum off early. So many times in that game last night, he'd bring it up and he'd defer to Ingram. And I understand because Ingram's been hot, uh, but McCollum needs to take that that, that leadership role. I think. Ingram's going to get his because he's just that good. I think McCullum needs to get off to a good start. So I would do everything in my power, kind of like Phoenix did when they lost Booker. They wanted to get DeAndre Ayton involved early and often, and they did, and he was terrific uh, in that game three. But I I think that the focus, I got to get McCullum back in a rhythm, a good rhythm that we saw during that 
the end of that regular season where he was just dynamic. We haven't seen that in this playoff series yet. And, and as we said earlier, that's the only way the Pels can win this thing. That's the only way they can send this thing back to Phoenix for a game seven. He's got to play better. And I think you get him, get him involved early and often get his confidence back up. Make sense. Absolutely. And you know, maybe if like they won four largely because they got down shooters going early too. Like I think, yep. If he can get right. Aiden into foul trouble, you know, that's something that, that really tilts the game in uh, Pelican's favor, too. Sounds good. All right, I'm going to let you fly back. Um, I hope you're uh, – why don't you explain to the fans, the players play, you sit there and work. I guarantee you you're tired today, and I can guarantee you you're going to sleep good tonight. That's just the way the NBA tra- life of travel is. Hey, I've gotten pretty good at sleeping on planes, and uh, I can guarantee you that's what I'll do this afternoon. (laughs) All right, man. Thanks for your time. Safe travels, and uh, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hopefully we can uh, extend this thing to seven and go from there. Hey, thanks, Jordy. All right, that's Christian Clark from The Advocate and Nola.com. Kind enough to join us trying to catch catch a plane back to the Crescent City. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to take you – out to the ball game with our latest Astros weekend getaway. The Houston Astros take on the Texas Rangers May 21st. And you can be there. Register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a ballpark tour, hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Lay Meridian, Houston, downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, uh, I do believe most of the spring football games around the SEC are done. I think I'll find out for sure. Uh, Blake Topmeyer will join us from USA Today covering the SEC and college football. He'll share his thoughts on what he saw and get his neutral observation of the LSU Tigers. That's next here on the Jordy Helper Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Brought to you by Eon smarter body contouring they say shooters shoot he's a man who shoots from the hip and a man who's hip when he shoots and no one shoots more from the hip when it comes to sports talk than the blonde bomber back to more of the jordy holberg show on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station Maroon 5 action as we come back to you on this Wednesday, April 27th. Um, All the spring football games from around the SEC are in the books. It's time now for um, coaches to evaluate, see where they are, maybe maybe go into the portal to try and strengthen some uh, weakened positions and and get that um, off-season program in line because fall camp will be here before you know it. Blake Topmeyer, friend of our program, and we're thankful that he is, is the SEC columnist for the USA Today Network. I wanted to pick his brain to see what he what he saw, what he thought, and, and in particular, his uh, neutral observations of the LSU Tigers under Brian Kelly. Blake, thank you for the time, man. Uh, you've been busy, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Uh, you've taken in several of the uh, the spring games these last uh, few weeks, and uh, it's it's been interesting to monitor because uh, and I know we'll probably talk about this, but the quarterback battles in particular, you know, so many right. teams in the SEC, half the teams return their starting quarterbacks from last year. So there's not much intrigue there. But there's a handful of SEC schools, LSU, 
certainly among them, uh, where you exit the spring with quarterback competitions that are in some places even you know three-man deep, um, including right. there at LSU. Yeah, we thought it was a two-man race, but obviously not. It's a three-man race. Uh, and so you got to see LSU with Brian Kelly. Kind of, kind of give me your your overview of what you liked and maybe what you didn't like about it. Yeah, I certainly liked uh, Miles Brennan and, and Garrett Nussmeyer at the at the quarterback spots there. You know, I think when when Jaden Daniels came in from Arizona State, I think you know there was the assumption of well, hey, if Brian Kelly's bringing in this this transfer quarterback, then um, that's the that's the guy he wants to be his starter. Well, right. maybe uh, maybe that is indeed the guy he wanted to be his starter. But uh, I think if the spring game's any indication. Uh, he's not necessarily running away with that race. I mean, you, you saw what he can do with his, his legs, but in terms of passing ability, um, you know, you just have the, the accuracy and the poise from, from Brennan, I think, is, is very uh, tempting there. And, and then, you know, that gunslinger mentality from, from Garrett Nussmeyer. I mean, he's got a great arm. Uh, and then you heard Brian Kelly talk about it afterwards. You don't want to rein him in too much, but it's balancing that, that aggression um, with with not making mistakes, um, but moving past the quarterbacks, I mean, you know, I think John Emery at, at running back is going to make a huge difference uh, for LSU this season. Obviously, you know, the defensive line I uh, thought flashed some some real ability. What you would expect from an, uh, a typical LSU defensive line, uh, I think for LSU, the biggest question or, or among the biggest questions remains. How much better are they going to be up front on, on the offensive line? I think spring games are a terrible evaluation of the offensive line. They're not a great evaluation in a lot of positions, but offensive line in particular. Uh, I mean, the defense pretty much knows what you're going to do. They're they're your own. You're they're your right. team's defense. They they better than anybody know what you're going to do. So yeah. it's, it's really hard to evaluate O lines in the spring. But but that's the lingering question. Uh, um, you know, at the top of the list, I think with LSU. All right, makes sense. Um. As far as Brian Kelly and adapting to SEC football, um, organizational skills, from, from a CEO standpoint, what did you think of how LSU uh, went about their business? Did they look like a big league ball club? I think as much as they can be expected to at this point, given what Brian Kelly inherited, uh, I mean, if you look at his roster now as compared to December 1st, I think it's markedly better. Um, I think he deserves really high marks uh, for for assembling the quarterback talent that he did, especially in this era. Uh, I mean, you know, Miles Brennan, Miles Brennan had, had flirted with the idea of, of going elsewhere. He's still here. Nussmeyer's still here. And then he brings in a new quarterback on top of that. Uh, and obviously he, he did many, many more things in the portal as well. And, um, you know, for as much grumbling that goes on about the transfer situation in college football, it is a great setup, I think, for a first-year coach to have those um, immediate impact transfers. Now, I know you could say, well, what about the guys that leave a program? Well, sure. Um, But even before the transfer rules changed, Usually when there was a coaching change, you had a lot of guys leave a program, uh, even if it meant they had to sit a year. You'd, you'd see right. guys leave a program. Uh, but right. the ability of first-year coaches now uh, to bring in players and have them play in, in year one is a huge benefit. And I think uh, Brian Kelly's among those who has most taken advantage of that. 
Um, you know, I don't think there's any question he knows how to run a program. He's, he's done it multiple places. Um, in terms of fit and, and the culture, sometimes I think that's overblown. Uh, I, you know, like everybody else, I don't think Brian, I, I believe Brian Kelly didn't get off to a great start there. Uh, that will be easily forgotten, you know, if he, if he comes out this fall and starts winning football games. And, and if you win games, none of that other stuff really matters. I'm with you 100%. Blake Topmeyer, USA Network. Um, dealing with the SEC. Okay. Um, of all the other things that you have seen, is there anybody going to compete with Alabama in the West and Georgia in the East? Well, I don't, I don't know that there is. I mean, I, I wish I could, could, um, you know, with, with uh, good faith, put forward a dark horse and say, this is the team that can beat these, uh, these two twin powers. But, you know, in good conscience, I really, I really can't do that. I mean, you know, it's interesting. And I wrote about this, this, this week with Georgia, you know, and we're going to see it here over the course of the next three days in the NFL draft, just how much they yeah. lost to the NFL. I yeah. mean, they could have as many as 14 guys drafted, which would match uh, LSU's total after that 2019 season uh, for, for a record from one program. However, Georgia's pretty much gotten to the point like Alabama has reached under Nick Saban where they can – I think they can withstand sending that many guys to the NFL and still be fine the next season. Now, do I think they're going to take a step back? Yeah, I do think – Georgia's gonna gonna take a small step back, particularly on defense, um, from just how dominant they were last year. But you look at the East, and I just don't see anybody there to challenge them. I mean, Florida's gonna be down at least in year one um, under Billy Napier, and Tennessee's coming, but they're not there yet. They're not ready to overtake Georgia, and so you know, I don't know that Georgia repeating in the East says as much about. Um, Georgia, as it does about the rest of the East this year. I mean, I think Georgia's going to be good. Don't don't misread me, but I don't know that they're going to be as dominant um, as they were last year. Now, Alabama, on the other hand, they're going to be more dominant. I, I think this is, um, you know, really last year was just the appetizer, I, I think, for Alabama to the 2022 team. I mean, when you bring back the, the reigning Heisman winner, um, and the player who I actually believe is the best player in college football and Will Anderson on the other side of the ball, that's a great start. Um, and Alabama has some issues they have to address on the offensive line. If there's one weakness, that's probably it. Um, in addition to dealing with the, the losses of Jameson Williams and John Mechie in the receiving core, um, but Alabama's going to be fine. I mean, they're, they're loaded at so many spots. Uh, Blake Topmeyer with us, Texas A&M, great recruiting class. Um, got a quarterback from LSU to transfer over there. Um, what do you feel about the Aggies? Is is is, is that the team that's um, going to be the closest to Alabama? You think in the West? Uh, maybe uh, you know I, I'm curious to see what comes out of that quarterback competition uh, because I think that's that's the key, right? And I know we always can think about Texas A&M winning that game last year against against Alabama, which which was huge, um, sure. but. Uh, you know, I do feel like that was a, probably a bit of an, an anomaly, and, and that game's not going to be in College Station um, this year. In terms of the quarterback competition, um, I kind of like Max Johnson there. As you mentioned, the, the LSU transfer, I think mm-hmm. it's pretty even with the, the freshman and Connor Weigman, um, Haynes King coming back off injury. But if they're to go with like the, the safest choice, um, probably the surest choice, I think it's Max Johnson. Um, does he have maybe as high of a ceiling? Perhaps not. 
But I think especially in the early going, if, if the choice is between Johnson or the, the true freshman, Connor Weigman, um, they might go with Johnson and, and uh, mm-hmm. give more time to the, to the true freshman. And, and I really like Arkansas. I mean, if, if, if we're looking for like sleeper teams okay. or teams that I don't think are being discussed enough, um, I think Arkansas is going to be really good. Um, I mean, I think KJ Jefferson is one of the most underrated quarterbacks uh, in America. Um, I think retaining both coordinators was really important uh, for offense because I think Kendall Bryles and, and Barry Odom are, are very, very good at yeah. um, at what they do. And um, you know, I think last year was I think sort of the beginning, and, and not just a flash in the pan. Uh, for Arkansas, can they can they overtake A and M and and finish second in the East or excuse me second in the West? I mean they beat A and M last year, um, so I wouldn't put it past them. I, I think those are probably my two prime candidates okay. uh, for being that number two team in the West. Awesome, um, Blake Topmeyer talking SEC football. What uh, yeah, sometimes a fresh starts what what people need, and I, I'm sure South Carolina is banking on that with their quarterback Spencer Rattler coming over from. Oklahoma. I remember he was a Heisman Trophy favorite. Then he lost his job. He transferred out. Uh, how, how's he adjusted to life in Columbia, South Carolina? It seems like he's getting along really, really well. And Spencer Rattler is such an interesting story because if you think about that that resume you just rattled off there, former preseason Heisman front runner to bench from the starting job, you know that yes. that makes us think like, oh well, I guess this guy's a bust. Um, but then you, you start to look at it a little deeper, and it's like, wow, he was replaced by one of the best quarterbacks in America, Caleb Williams, and he was replaced despite completing 70% of his passes last year. Wow. Um, wow. Now, that's not to say that, that Rattler um, you know, failed to live up to, high, to the hype. I mean, he, he did fail to live up to the hype, only because the hype was so stinking high that yeah. I'm not sure it was impossible for, for Spencer Rattler to live up to the hype. Point being... Um, you know, is he as good as, as maybe what was projected? Perhaps not, but I still think South Carolina uh, got a huge upgrade, just a, just a monster too. upgrade um, at, at quarterback, and it totally changes the dynamic of what they might be capable of achieving this year. I mean, they went 7-6 and six last year in Shane Beamer's debut, uh, despite starting three different quarterbacks, uh, one of whom started the year as a graduate assistant coach, um, and they threw into uniform because they, they needed a new quarterback. And so, you know, to go from that to Spencer Rattler, I, I think is such an improvement for South Carolina. Um, and, and again, transfers are becoming such a big part of, of college football, uh, good, bad, or otherwise. But I think in the case of South Carolina, uh, you are seeing the good there, a guy that needed a fresh start, um, reunited with a, a former Oklahoma assistant, uh, right. now the head coach at South Carolina, and Shane Beamer. And it yeah. just seems like it's it's been a really necessary and productive uh, reboot for Spencer ba- Spencer Rattler after after sort of a, um, I guess I wouldn't say an ugly ending in, at Oklahoma, but uh, I guess an unceremonial exit um, from, from, yeah. uh, from the QB1 position there. Uh, old Coach Kiffin, Kiffin at uh, Ole Miss is, um, hadn't, hadn't had to worry about quarterback play. Matt Corral was pretty good for a while there. Mississippi State, uh, Mike Leach didn't have to worry about quarterbacks. He always seems to find one. What's the state of the quarterback position in uh, the state of Mississippi? Yeah, I mean, I think with Will Rogers and Mississippi State, I mentioned K.J. Jefferson as you know, maybe one of the most 
uh, underrated quarterbacks in, in the country. I think Will Rogers probably doesn't get enough credit either. You know, when you hear the, the praise for the Mississippi State quarterback, a lot of time it's couched by, oh, well, he's a really good system quarterback, you yeah, know, and yeah. a nod to uh, Mike Leach's air raid. It's like, let's take the system out of there. Will Rogers is just a good quarterback. And I think now in, in year three, um, of the same quarterback, the same coach, and, and Will Rogers working with Mike Leach, um, I think, you know, Mississippi State's poised to take that next step forward this year. They need to find more consistency. Um, you know, the, the thing about Mike Leach teams is they're usually good for uh, one or two upset wins a year, and then they're usually right. good for one or two head-scratching losses. Yep. You think, what in the world yep. happened here? Um, uh-huh. So they got to get rid of those. Um, and, and then at, at Ole Miss, um, you know, I think much like LSU, there was a little bit of the assumption of, oh, well, they went out and got a transfer I guess that guy's going to be the starter. <laughs> um, and, and much like LSU, they got their transfer from the West Coast and, and Ole Miss bringing in Jackson Dart from USC. But if you just based your judgment on uh, on Saturday's spring game, and Jackson Dart certainly doesn't have this thing wrapped up. He struggled in, right. the, in the spring game for Ole Miss. He uh, made some bad decisions through a couple interceptions. Um, he's got a strong arm, and he's never seen a downfield pass he didn't like. And, and there's that. Um, you know, pretty enticing, I think, for for a head coach, especially a uh, you know a quarterback guru. I guess we can call Kiffin. He, he likes those big armed quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but Luke Altmeyer, the returning backup, he was his Matt Corral's backup, actually showed a little bit steadier hand in the spring game. So I think it's it's too early uh, okay. to I guess call the election there for for Jackson Dart the transfer. <laughs> I think Altmeyer is going to take this competition into into August. Well put. Blake Topmeyer, USA Network. I have to ask you this question totally unrelated to spring football, but uh, it's been announced that uh, Mark Emmert is um, out uh, as the president of the NCAA. Um, he is going to uh, step aside um, and you know he'll hold the position until I think June of 2023, unless someone else is is hired. Um I don't think anybody's crying over that. I think everybody's kind of clapping over that, but that's a tough gig, man. Who who's what what type of person fits the mold as to what the NCAA needs going forward from a leadership position? I think someone that has the respect of some of the most powerful figures in college sports um would be key. You know, I don't know who that is because, you know, you could say well, how about Greg Sankey? Well, right. Greg Sankey going from SEC commissioner um, to the head of the NCA, that would be a demotion, in yeah. my opinion, and <laughs> the opinion of many people, I think, including Greg Sankey. Um, yeah. You know, he's not leaving the SEC for the NCA because the fact is a lot of these conference commissioners, uh, including first and foremost Greg Sankey, uh, have more power than, than yeah. what the head of the NCA does right now. Uh, and particularly in, you know, in, in the coming years, they're going to gain even more power. So mm-hmm. I think if you had someone in that position that, like I said, was, was very well respected um, by the conference commissioners, then you know, maybe you could see that person really having some, some leadership ability and, and bringing you know, all these different um, conferences with all their own interests you know, sort of under the collective banner that the NCA really is supposed to be, right? Um, yeah. and, and get some things done and not everybody just operating in their own best interest. But I think finding that person is going to be really hard. Um, and, and I think, you. you know, in reality, uh, the conferences are going to gain more and more of the power because uh, the NCAA for too long has, has proven incapable of, um, you know, of answering the questions in college sports and, and being that uh, 
you know, decisive and, and authoritative and trusted uh, leader for college sports. And so I think, you know, given given the NCAA's inability uh, to effectively lead, I think you're going to see the conferences and the, and the conference commissioners um, continue to wrestle away that power and, and aim to fill that void and uh, and set their own roadmap for leadership. You know, and I, I think yeah. conferences have gotten uh, a bigger piece of the pie, a bigger piece of the power here in the last uh, 24, right. 36 months. And I doubt they're going to want to give that up. Blake, I can't thank you enough, buddy. You take care. Enjoy some uh, some downtime, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Take care. Okay. Sounds good. All Thanks. right. We'll be back to wrap up our number one next. Jordy Holtenberg is known far and wide as the Blonde Bomber. For the perfectly feathered golden mane he rocked back in the day at LSU. Just let your soul go. Just let it shine the hair may not be as golden or as long, but Jordy is still making a name for himself. Back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We got baseball back on the airwaves tonight. The Astros got back on track Tuesday with a 5-1 win over the Rangers. They'll try to make it two in a row tonight. You can listen to the game live from Arlington. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Coming up, hour number two. What a night it's going to be in New Orleans tomorrow. Saints draft, Pell's game six. Back and forth, plus more draft talk all coming your way. Hour number two of the Jordy Helpert Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles with Southwest Louisiana sports station. Stick around, hour number two next. Live and local, this is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. It is a Saints touchdown. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hey, baby, we're going to be here. Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party. Now, here's your host, Jordy Holberg. It's hour number two of two, and away we go. Wednesday, April 27th, the year 2022. Wednesday, okay. Tomorrow, wow. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's just the, the, the stars are in unison. We've got Game six of the NBA playoff between the Pelicans and the Suns. And we've got the NFL draft, one of the more important drafts in recent years for the New Orleans Saints. So without further ado, we kick off our number two. I just love this guy. Ralph Marlborough is a contributing Saints writer for WWL TV. He is the uh, uh, one of the hosts of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. He's funny. He's intelligent. He's just a good dude. Ralph been too long man how are you i'm great jordy i'm excited because it's not officially nfl draft week until we get wild rumors about a top five player having some sort of off the field calamity (laughs) or a medical calamity and he's projected to drop and we got that with evan neal i saw a mock draft having having him go to the saints at 16 so i love that i love when they have these wild medical rumors like evan neal like he's got leprosy or his leg fell off 
or possibly he's room temperature. So that makes me excited that like a top five player could fall to the Saints. And it's not it's not officially draft week until we have one of those rumors, and we got it. So I'm I'm excited now. Maybe he could pull a, a Laramie Tunsil, who is now taking that draft night gas mask video into what they call these non-fungible tokens. Uh, it's going right. to donate some of the proceeds. I don't understand what an NFT is. I have, I don't want to, but hey, that's uh, making chicken salad out of you know what, right? Uh-huh. It's right. It's NFT. This is how I understand it. It's what mega rich people buy because they don't have anything else to spend money on. That's what an NFT is. That's that's what that's how it was, that, that's how it was explained to me by a, a someone I know that's in their twenties and understands that sort of thing. Lord have mercy. Uh, Ralph, I'm watching the Pels last night, and I've got this huge interest, and it's like it was a game where they were never really in it, but they were never really out of it. So I'm kind of like in the middle of the um, teeter-totter set. You know, I'm kind of balancing, and I can't go either way. It's just, it, it's, it was hard to watch. It was. It was even more – like, to me, it was even worse than game one because at least game one we got to watch Chris Paul go into God mode and he just, like, took it over. And you're like, yeah, it stinks that the Pels lost, but at least you got to watch Chris Paul be great and you just shrug. You're like, well, he was great. What are you going to do? Last night it was like, come on, Pels, either get this this below five points or get blown out so I can go to bed. And they just (laughs) never quite made a decision uh, on it. But it – it felt to me, Jordy, like, yeah, last night, I didn't, I want to say it wasn't winnable, but then it pointed me, it's like, man, if, McC- if McCollum would have made here, any yeah. shots at all, it was right there for him. Yeah. So where's Gail Benson going to be tomorrow night? Is she going to be in her suite in the Smoothie King Center with, uh, I know Dennis Allen's not going to be there anymore because he was there with Sean Payton the last game, but Sean will probably be there. Um have you done the time timeline? When when does normally Ooh, the sixteenth pick of the draft I take mean, place? I in mean, time with the start Jordan, of we got the we Pels got game. Nola Sports again, like coming at us like an asteroid. Here's the thing: Pell start at six thirty. If every pick takes ten minutes, the Saints should be picking at about nine forty ish. But the NFL now that it's a nighttime prime time draft. They encourage the teams not to take the whole 10 minutes if they don't do a trade or whatever. So I think there's a possibility that you can get to the 16th pick and you can have the Pelicans either right at the gun like the last two minutes of the game or, God forbid, the Pelicans could be in overtime and the Saints could be on the clock. Jordy, what are we going to do? This is this is a this is it's exciting, but it's a potential calamity. Like, how do you pay attention? And what if they what if this, what if it's like the crunch time for the Pelicans and the Saints have like traded up and you're like, oh my God, the Saints are on the clock at ten and there's thirty seconds to go and McCollum's got the ball at the top of the key and the, and they're bringing the Roger Goodell's got the card. Oh my God, it's, it's calamity. <laughs> what do you do? Oh man, that's crazy. All right, so um. What, what are the Saints going to do? What do you think? The thing that I kind of want them to do is they, they sign Taco Tarleton. So I would like them to go all food names. They could go Sauce Gardner at 16 and Jamison Williams at 19. And then you could have the all food player draft names. And it would be good players. But, Jordy, I just think the Saints, their nature they, they, they lock into a guy they want, and they move up. And I just think they're going to have a tackle that they're going to want. 
and they're going to move into nine ten range, and that's going to be Charles. I think it's going to be Charles Cross, and I think it's going to be they're going to move to pick nine or pick ten, and they're going to burn pick number forty nine, and they're going to pick him there, and then they're going to wait at nineteen and either get the receiver they want or possibly trade down, which would be amazing, Jordy, because if you think about it, all the draft nerds they don't do hard, that. They would be they would they could be confused because they'd be like, well, the Saints traded up for two first round picks. Then they traded up again. Then they traded down, and they'd have to calculate the value with the abacuses and the slide rules. I would oh, be all for that. But I think it's, I think it's going to be Charles Cross. At, at, I'm going to say they'll trade with Seattle, Charles Cross at 10, and Chris Olave at 19. And I have to say, Jordy, I feel pretty good about that. Like, if they got the offensive tackle and they got the receiver, we feel pretty good about that. We'd hate giving up pick 49. But overall, I, I feel pretty good about it. See, I'm of this I, – I know this would never happen, but wouldn't it be interesting if – and look, Kansas City and Green Bay, they mm-hmm. need wide receivers. They're not going to sit back it was way That's back right. in the pack. They're going to come up to get the get a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. But but if in a, in a crazy world, if the Saints had their number one receiver available to them at number 16 and they took it and their, their other top receiver at number 19, could you see a scenario where they said, Jameis, we're going to – I know we need your help. We need to help you, and uh, we're not sure what Michael Thomas is going to be like. He hadn't played football in two years, so we're going to pick two wide receivers with our first two picks. Would that be crazy? It would be crazy, but I think you're on to something with Green Bay and Kansas City. And you know, most of the time, in these, in, when a team has two two picks right in the first round, Jordy, most of the time it's either because they're rebuilding, right, and they've traded away players so they have assets and they're doing a full rebuild, or they're like the Saints where they're kind of like, eh, are we rebuilding, are we not? You rarely see teams like Green Bay and Kansas City that are, we are trying to win a Super Bowl right now. And I just don't see both of them, especially Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers being 38, being like, oh, we'll just hang tight at 22, and if we get a – we get the receiver we want. That'll be cool. But if not, we'll draft another guy. I see both one of them, maybe both of them, being like, we want this guy, whether it's Olave, Jameson, Lynch, whoever, and they are going to move up to get those receivers. I'll just be, I can't see both of them staying put. And the other thing, Jordy, is their rosters are like the Saints in 2018. Remember, in 2018, the Saints traded two firsts for Marcus Davenport, and you can argue right. whether that was a good idea or a bad idea. But one of the reasons they did it is their roster was so loaded, they were like, we don't need to draft yeah. six rookies. We have yeah. two needs. And that's the same thing with Kansas City and Green Bay. They don't need to draft six, eight rookies, and they have five picks in the top 100. They don't exactly. have the space for them. They need one or two guys to get them over the top. So I think that is going to happen. And it's another thing where you mentioned the Saints taking two receivers. That's interesting. But you have the doomsday scenario where all the tackles are gone and the good receivers are gone, and the Saints are kind of in this no-man's land of yeah. what do we do at 16 and 19 because we needed offense, and do we, do we pick Jordan Davis at 16? He fell. Do we pick Hamilton at 16? He fell. Yeah. And it wouldn't be bad, but there's a but, this draft, there's no idea how it could go. Yeah, that makes it fun. So what's, uh, what's Ralph Marlborough going to do if – if the commissioner's walking up with the Saints draft pick and the and the Pels are right there in crunch time, what are you going to do? I think you got to. I think I got to go. I think I got to go switch screen and I mute the commissioner and I go audio with the N, the NBA game and you wait for the pick to come up on your screen. I, love I, it. I think it's going to uh, Jordy, New, New, New Orleans sports. You know, 
mayhem is some sort of mayhem is going to happen, no and the question. Pelicans and the Saints are going to enter. It's not going to be nice and easy where the Pelicans blow out the blow out the Suns, <laughs> and you can you can That's tune into the you can lock That's into right. the draft or whatever. You're no, no, exactly no. right. That's not how it's going to go. No. No, you're right. All right, Ralph. I know you got you got a meeting to go to. I promised you I'd get you out on time, and on time I did. By golly, uh, enjoy tomorrow. It's going to be crazy, man. I love it. It's going to be amazing. Thanks for having me on, Jordy. Talk to All you right, next buddy. Week. You take care, Ralph Marborough, uh, with his thoughts in his own inimitable way on uh, the Saints and the Pels in their collision course. Uh, tomorrow. That brought to you by the Aesthetic Medicine and Anti-Aging Clinics of Louisiana right there. 5,000 Ambassador Caffrey Parkway Building Number 1 Suite 101 in Lafayette. Um, Men and women alike, if you feel sluggish, if you're not sleeping well, hormone replacement therapy is the answer. It increases your energy. You'll stop feeling tired and sluggish. It's kind of the fountain of youth. It's increasing your sex drive for both men and women alike. It'll improve your mood, helps with that mental fog. Low testosterone gives you a greater than 333% chance of cardiovascular disease. If you're not losing weight like you used to, could be a hormone deficiency. We have free consultations and testosterone blood checks. We are the region's leader in hormone replacement therapy with expert clinical care in a beautiful, beautiful setting and environment. That's the Aesthetic Medicine and Anti-Aging Clinics of Louisiana right there on Ambassador Caffrey Parkway. The phone number 337-484-1234. One, two, three, four. Get back to being the young, youthful you. All right, we'll continue our draft coverage. Jeff Duncan joins us next from NOLA.com and the Times-Picayune. Saints have a blueprint of what they what they like. They, they've put players into slots, and those slots have certain characteristics that players need to meet. Well, Jeff will discuss it all with us next here on the Jordy Helpert Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. April 27, 1983, Houston Astros pitcher Nolan Ryan strikes out Montreal Expos pinch hitter Brad Mills. The strikeout gives Ryan the 3,509th strikeout of his career, passing Walter Johnson for the most all-time. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we are back and better than ever here as we continue here on the Jordy Helper Show on this Wednesday, April 27th. Um, As we just talked about, it's going to be an incredible day tomorrow in the Crescent City. Game six, Pell's Sun scheduled for 6.30 p.m. And the Saints and the NFL draft taking place in Las Vegas. You figure the 16th pick, hmm, it could be crunch time of a very significant basketball game. Jeff Duncan. Of the Times picking you, NOLA.com, kind enough to join us. Um, can't you see? I mean, it just would be fitting, wouldn't it, Jeff, that you'd have the commissioner walking up and the Pels are shooting the three to try to win the game? Wouldn't that be just fitting? Yeah, we're uh, we're all debating down here how we're going to spread <laughs> our, uh, our resources uh, for this big night because, uh, as you know, 
both those things are going to be of high importance to uh, New Orleans sports fans, Louisiana sports fans, Jordy. So uh, how we how we pick uh, where we go is going to be interesting to see because um, uh, it's been a crazy month with the Final Four, yeah. Zurich Classic. Uh, now we've got the Pelicans making this playoff run, and of course the draft is always of great interest. So it's been been quite a quite a month. Very important draft for the Saints. Um, you wrote a great article on um, and. And I've heard I've heard Nick Saban talk about this. We have certain measurements that players need to meet for us to either recruit them if you're in college or to draft them if you're in the NFL. Um, Jeff Ireland is the guy who oversees the Saints draft as the college scouting director. How? Um, why don't you explain to our listeners how uh, what kind of formula he uses as this draft is a day away from us? Well, I like to remind people every year because I think we, we all start trying to guess who who the Saints might take and right. you can really eliminate a lot of players just right off the bat, uh, Jordy. I mean, a, a good example is a player like Patrick Queen that, that came out of LSU a few years ago. Great player, uh, yeah. but doesn't fit the, the prototypes the Saints want at their linebacker position that's not a guy i'm not saying if he were there in the fifth or sixth round which he was never going to be they wouldn't take him but they're not going to take him high because he doesn't fit their scheme same thing for like a a defensive back like an antoine winfield jr the guy that stripped jared cook uh, a couple years ago in in the playoff game uh undersized defensive back not going to be high on the saints draft board they they like the Bill Parcells school, just like Nick Saban, big yep. guys, uh, tall, fast, stout. Uh, they don't like the undersized, shorter players. That just doesn't fit the way they put together their roster. Uh, so you can, you know, those those like Dwight Freeney type defensive ends that Not come off happen. the edge that are like six one and, and and undersized. You'll never see the Saints draft those guys. You just don't see it. Look at their defensive line. They're all yeah. like six four or taller, and they're yeah. big, stout guys. They're not particularly fast or explosive off the edge, but they they're powerful. Marcus Davenport, Cam Jordan, last year Peyton Turner. So you can kind of see the type of player the Saints draft. And the other thing that they really value is intelligence, uh, football IQ, maturity. Okay. Uh, they don't want players getting in trouble off the field. They don't want players that might be tempted in this city, which has incredible nightlife. Uh, they want professionals that are going to go about their business and conduct themselves that way. So that also eliminates a lot of players yeah. uh, from their draft board. So they really get it down, Jordy, to about 100, 120 players that they want to wow. pick. And, and the rest, they're not even on their draft board. Wow, that's fascinating. Jeff Duncan, time speaking to you. Okay, you've been around and followed the Saints. You've seen the Mickey Loomis uh, Sean Payton combination, Jeff Ireland. Now you've got Dennis Allen. Um, were you surprised that the Saints uh, made the trade with Philadelphia to get two first-round picks? And and what do you think from the history? History has a way of repeating itself. What in history tells you why they did that and where they're going with that? Well, I don't know if history will help us there because I don't think they've ever really made a move quite like this. It, it okay. feels to me like, uh, you know, and they've laid low. You know, today yeah. Mickey Loomis addressed the media for the first time since they made that trade weeks ago. 
they have really kind of kept their cards close to the vest, not really talked to anybody in the media nationally or locally. So we've all been guessing until today, and I think it really just comes down to this team, where they're at in their roster construction, the maturity of the of the team, the, their core is all about five years old, you know, from 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 the 2017-16 drafts. Yeah. Uh, so they they're built to win right now. They're not okay. rebuilding. Uh, they're not looking long term here. They're trying to win right now. And I think getting two starting caliber players in this draft at rookie contracts because they have been so tight against the cap, uh, I think was important. And and this draft is not really a deep one as far as uh, you know superstar level talent. I, I think it's. It's indicative of that when we don't even really know who's going to be the first pick right. this year. Right. And it's looking right. like a bunch of offensive and defensive linemen are going to be in the top ten, not really guys that score or or, or handle the ball. Uh, that's very rare. We don't see quarterbacks and running backs right. and receivers up there. So usual draft, and I think the Saints, for what they need, Jordy, with, with offensive tackle being a glaring need, I think receivers a need. Uh, it's a good draft for them to address those those two positions. Do you foresee any possibility of the Saints drafting a quarterback with one of their ter- first uh, one of their two first round picks? Yeah, I, I definitely could see that happening. I, I don't think there's any doubt it could happen. It really comes down to their board and where they grade these quarterbacks. I, I've written about Kenny Pickett. I know they like him. How much they like them like him, I don't know. I don't know where they have him graded. I know, uh, you know, if he is a top ten player on their board, and all of a sudden they're there, and they they pick at sixteen, then number nineteen, he's still there. Uh, yes, I could see them taking the a player they have graded in the top ten at any position at number nineteen. That's how the Saints operate. They okay. they try to take the players on their board and where they believe they're getting the most value. Uh, I talked to Randy Mueller the other day old general manager and he, yeah. he mentioned the year they drafted Darren Howard and they got him at the top of the second round and he said they had him great as the number eight player in the whole draft that's wow. kind of how the Saints operate now they 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 just look at their board and see who's available Peyton Turner last year they had a high grade I think they had him in the top 15 in the draft and they took him and they didn't really need a defensive end so I think people I think fans and media we get caught up a lot of times Jordy and looking at who do you need this year? Where's the hole for this year's team? And that's just not how the brain trust looks at it. They're looking at who's the best player for our program, our our, mm-hmm. our franchise long-term. Who can we get that's going to be a player in two or three years, not necessarily when we line up here in the first week of September. Jeff Duncan, Time Spicune. Is there a scenario where you see the Saints really love a player and they think, uh oh, somebody may jump ahead of us to get him? Do you see a scenario where the Saints may use one of those picks and put together a deal to move up higher into the first round? I don't see them trading both those first round picks. I don't think there's a player in this okay. draft that's worthy of that. Now, gotcha. could they take maybe the first pick, the 16th, say they have a player in their top five, Jordy, that all of a sudden at number 12 is still there, and he's right. one of their five best players in the draft. I could see them taking the 16th pick and maybe their fourth-round pick or third-round right. pick 
and packaging that to go up to 12 yes. and taking this player okay. they valued as one of the five best in the draft. I could definitely okay. see that. And then I could see them at number 19 trading down, you know, trading down uh-huh. into the top of the second round and, and gaining back the pick they traded. I think they've got such flexibility yeah. in this draft because of the way it's, it's talent base is really about, I'd say 12 to 15 players deep at the top. And then, mm-hmm. From number 16 to about 50, it's all about the same player. So the player the Saints get with their 49th pick in the second round is probably going to be graded very similarly to the guys they get at number 19. Uh, you know, that's just how this draft is. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it comes down to value and where you, where you can get players. Let's just take a hypothetical here. Let's say they have two players graded exactly even. One's, one's an offensive lineman who's a left tackle and one's a wide receiver, and they're both available at number 16. What direction do you think the Saints go? In other words, what's the more important position for the Saints here and now? Well, uh, okay, now that, that's, there's a lot of variables there. I mean, I'm not hedging <laughs> on you, but you have to look at who's behind you. because Remember, they're picking at 19, too, so there's only right. two picks between them. We know the Chargers need a left tackle. That's their biggest need. So do you take the receiver first because they might not take your receiver and he could drift down to number 19 and you could take him there? You have to kind of consider who might not be on the board at 19 when you have that pick at 16. And then I think you also have to consider who's left on the board. You know, if you just have those two players the exact same grade and then you have no other prospects with the same grade – I think you have to take the tackle. I think you always take okay. the big man. They're harder to find. There's not as many. God didn't make enough big, <laughs> agile, athletic offensive linemen uh, to go around in the NFL. There's plenty of receivers, especially in this draft. If you look yeah. at even in the second and third round, there's going to be receivers, I think, that could come in right away and start for the Saints. I'm not sure you can say that about offensive tackle. Good point. And Sean Payton didn't did did come out and say, um, you don't need to draft a receiver in the first round. We, we got Michael Thomas in the second. He was planting that seed. When well, we're going to find out about Sean Payton's broadcasting career he's, uh, any day now, I would think. Yeah, I think he's going to end up at Fox, is what it sounds like. And um, I think we'll see him doing some studio work and and okay. maybe even getting out and doing a little bit of game work, more more studio work. I know he doesn't want to travel that much. Uh, but I think we'll see him on, on Fox here uh, coming coming Sundays in the fall. That'll be interesting. All right, so Jeff Duncan, what, what you going to cover tomorrow? You, you've got seniority. You're the boss. Who, who, what you going to do? Uh, well, we actually, Rod Walker and my colleague Rod Walker and I are going to be out at Saints camp, and, uh, and then we're both going to try and uh, get down to the arena uh, by, like, halftime if we can. After this first pick, we're not sure if we're going to be able to do it all. We also have Scott Kushner on our staff who will be at the arena full time. So we're just trying to figure it out. I don't know if we're going to be able to pull it off or not. Um, We're hoping the Saints do something crazy and trade up so uh, we can we can get down to the arena in time to see that game. Because I think it's going to be an incredible uh, showdown in in the Smoothie King Center. And um, man, it's, it's been a very competitive series between those two teams. Do me a favor and um, and go tell C.J. McCollum, dude, you're a better shooter than that. We we got to get McCollum 
back in back into his rhythm. They they can't win if he's shooting one for eight from downtown. They can't beat him. So he's got to shoot better, plain and simple. Yeah, and that that was kind of due. I mean, they they've been shooting pretty well. I mean, especially Brandon Ingram, uh, and and the Suns had been awful from the yeah. perimeter, and they were due a game like they had. Uh, where they were, where they were hot from outside, they were. They finally got some contributions from the two cams, campaign yeah. and Cam right. Johnson. I mean, those guys had not done anything so far, yeah. so you kind of felt like eventually some of these role players for the Suns were going to step step forward. Bridges had a breakout game, but I think the Pels are are due to bounce back. I think this they game's going. Yeah. This series is going seven, and I think I'm it's going to be an epic game seven back in Phoenix. I'm with you 100, percent Jeff Duncan. Uh, you have fun, man. What a, what a great, what a great month it's been. Uh, and, and I mean, of sports and, uh, the French quarter fest, I mean, everything, what, what a great time. And the weather's been terrific. That's awesome, man. I, I know you've enjoyed it. Thank you for your time, my friend. Anytime, Jordy. Take care, buddy. All right, buddy. You take care. That's, uh, the great Jeff Duncan from the times Picayune. Today's a day that you join the game clubhouse. Not only is it free to join, but you'll get the chance to enter to win tremendous free gifts like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse. You can only score that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up today. All right, we got the local perspective. It's time for the Schwab. Frank Schwab joins us from Yahoo Sports with the NFL Draft tomorrow. That's next here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. The Jordy Holberg Show prides itself on settling for nothing less than the best. This thing has a variety of nauseating aspects to it. Jordy has the best takes, the best guests, and let's be honest. The best nickname, the Blonde Bomber, is cool as hell. I agree. All right. Let's play ball. Back to only the best on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we welcome you back. Boy, you know, there's a uh, there's a restaurant that uh, you need to go check out, and that is Richard's Seafood Patio. And the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with a $50 gift certificate to Richard's Seafood Patio in Abbeville. Richard's has some of the best boiled crawfish, but they've got boiled shrimp, boiled crabs. Oh, my God, it sounds so good. Fried and grilled seafood burgers, steaks, pole boys, a seafood buffet. Oh, just go sign up for the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to score a $50 gift certificate to Richard's Seafood Patio. Draft tomorrow. The Schwab today, Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports. Frank, uh, thank you for your time, buddy. How are you? Doing good, doing good. How are you? I'm terrific. I'm terrific. Um, sum up this draft to me. You you, you study yeah. this thing, and uh, uh, what do you? What's the consensus? Good, bad, and different? Where, where are we with this upcoming draft? You know, I, personally, I, I don't think it's a good draft. I just can't. I can't sit here. You know, I'd like to sit here and tell you, like, wow, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about that. And it'll be interesting. There's always interest. There's always good players that come out of every draft. But right. as I sit here, I just don't see a lot of impact guys. I'm not saying there's none. I, there's going to be a couple guys that that have kind of great rookie years, great careers, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's just not that 
obvious, hey, the Trevor Lawrence is coming to town. Let, let's put up some billboards. Like They're good, mm-hmm. solid guys. There's some depth at some positions, like edge rusher, cornerback, receiver. But I don't see this as a very good draft. I, it, it reminds me almost of that 2013 draft. Eric Fisher went in the top. Uh, you know, E.J. Manuel is the only quarterback in the first round. That kind of draft where it's just, uh, okay, it's, it's just one of those years where it's not a very sexy draft. Is it more interesting to you when there is a clear-cut number one pick, or is it more interesting to you like this year when every other day it seems like, well, it's going to be this guy from Michigan or this guy from Georgia or this guy from, from Oregon or this, that, and the other? What do you, what's more intriguing for you? I mean, it's certainly uh, – it, it makes it tough to put together a mock draft, I'll tell you that. But, yeah, I like the intrigue. I, I like the – not not necessarily knowing, and you know, I just wrote about this. There, there's been six different guys throughout this process to be favored to go number one right. overall, and I, I don't think I've ever really seen that, and I definitely don't think I've ever seen a the odds flip on the first overall pick like they did. I mean, Monday morning, you know, when we got up, it was Aiden Hutchinson was still a pretty significant favorite to go number one. And then uh, you know, by the by noon, by lunchtime, basically, Trevon Walker taking that over, and it just the odds keep going up and up and up, and he's up to last I looked minus three hundred, which is pretty much I mean it's pretty much a lock that he's the betting people at least think that he's going number one. We'll see. I mean they're guessing a little bit. They're not getting inside information. You know the Jaguars aren't telling him what they're picking or anything, but. I think that it probably will be Trevon Walker, but truthfully, I really haven't. I haven't seen anything like that where we're sitting here and just on a Monday, three days before the draft, who we think is going number one completely changes. Absolutely, right. and right. and that's a that's a big difference. And it it does make it interesting because this is one of those. This the one thing about this draft is. If you want intrigue, if you don't want predictable picks, well, this is a draft for you because, you know, again, I kind of joked about putting together a mock draft, but the truth is I can only – I don't know of any picks I feel confident in, maybe not even number one. I mean, it's anything that happened in this top 10, top 20, uh, the whole first round. Uh, I think we just need to be prepared for absolutely off-the-board picks that we're not seeing coming. Uh, Frank Schwab with us from Yahoo Sports, 18 with two picks in the first round yeah that's very very unusual that tells me i'm looking for i'm looking for some wheeling and dealing i'm looking at kansas city they they need a wide receiver i'm looking at green bay they need a wider they're not sitting back there deep in the draft they're moving up somehow some way i i see a little helter skelter taking place tomorrow do you yeah you of the same ilk and if it's not and by the way that is a record i heard that today i don't know who looked us up but the was like six teams that had multiple picks in the first round. Uh, we're getting eight this year, I guess. But you're right. Like I don't know. We're and not just you know that the Chiefs or Packers might move up, but maybe they make a move for Debo Samuel. Maybe they make a move for Ooh, DK yeah. Metcalf. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think these teams. When you have eight teams with multiple picks. That adds to to this craziness of uh, just we could see teams moving up, we could see teams moving out to next year, even like a team like the Eagles has put a lot a big priority on. Hey, we're just going to kind of punt it to next year because we're getting good value, and I, I can see teams saying that if if you're a team like the Packers, uh, for example, with two first round picks, 
why not trade one of them for a next year pick for a team that's kind of getting antsy? It doesn't have a first round pick. So yeah. I, I think that the maneuvering, when you have a quarter of the league with two first round picks, I think the maneuvering is going to be really, really interesting and we could see a lot of it. But yes, I think absolutely positively. The two teams that, that probably interest me most from just what, what are they going to look like after this draft okay. are probably the Chiefs and the Packers. I, I think that because I think they have to figure out the receiver situation. And there's yes. a lot of good receivers in this draft and on trade market. And I think by the end of the first round tomorrow, we're going to have a better idea what we think about the Chiefs and Packers as far as Super Bowl contenders if, if they fix this issue and how they do so. All right. I know you're not high on the Saints. The Saints think they're they're pretty good. They think they have a good, good yeah. core group there. They're banking on Jameis Winston to um, elevate his play. When you look at the Saints, 16 and 19, what do you have them selecting? What do you, what do they need? And I mean, I'm guessing anyway that most people there are probably anticipating a quarterback. I don't know that I would. I, I don't know. I, you, to me, you don't draft a quarterback just to draft a quarterback, especially with a good class coming up next year. And you know, now we're we're in an era, I guess, of more quarterback movement. So it's not crazy to think you can land a quarterback in a trade or something. So I don't know necessarily that. I would draft a quarterback if I was the Saints, but it makes sense. Like, why did they get this extra first-round pick? For what reason? In a, a fairly weak draft. Well, that maybe they need to make a move for a quarterback somehow. So I think that 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 almost that has to be on the table. I don't know if they will or not, but I think receiver has to be one of the picks, right? Like, I mean, they're just you got to add a playmaker. The whole Michael Thomas thing has gotten messy. We'll see where that goes from here. But I think the Saints and the fans would feel a lot better. Taking one of these receivers at either 16 or 19, I mean, whoever falls to them, there's good quality receivers throughout the first round, basically. I think we could see as many as seven or eight, maybe, if we're stretching it. That's pretty much where the strength of this draft is a receiver, and I would assume, anyway, that yeah. one of these two picks, if not both, the, the Saints are going to be coming you. out of here with a, with a receiver. Thank you. I have been of that mindset for the longest time. I mean... You don't know what you're going to have with Michael. He hadn't played in a couple of years. He's been hurt. You you got Jameis Winston. You want him to succeed. I would go with two wide. Re- I, I mean, the way football's played now, you got to have more than two wide receivers that you can depend on. I'd pick two if they're good. I really would. I'm totally with I'm an you, and I think we're going to get into. I think we're going to get into that era of. Just draft. Who cares how many receivers you have? Draft a third one. Draft a fourth one. I think the Bengals really kind of showed the blueprint of that, where a lot of people were just like, "Oh, they're going to draft the offensive tackle because they already got good receivers." And the Bengals said, "No, this Jamar Chase kid's too good to pass up. We're taking him." And they ended up with a dynamic offense as a result. So a team like the Saints, a team like the Packers or Chiefs, even. It, why not take a double dip? Like, why not? What's, if you come out of this, let's say the Saints come out of this draft with, I don't know, Chris Olave from Ohio State and George Pickens from Georgia, I think the Saints would be pretty fired up about their offense after that. Like, wow, we really turned a, yes. a weakness into a strength overnight. Yes. And, yeah, I mean, and Michael Thomas is still there, too. So uh, it's, I think, I, I don't know that any team is going to kind of have the, the gumption to do that because every team has needs. Every team wants to fill right. this defensive line spot and that offensive guard spot. So I don't know right. if a team is going to have the, the courage to just <laughs> double tap a receiver. But it weapons. would be really fascinating, especially in this give, draft. Give me the weapons, man. Give it to yep. it. All right, well, how about the Carolina Panthers owner, David Tepper, with his, <laughs> the kiss of death, 
vote of confidence to both coach Matt Rule and quarterback Sam Darnold. Now, watch the Panthers go and draft a quarterback now after this vote of confidence, right? I know, right? And I mean, what else are you going to say? I, I mean, I always kind of look at it that way. When when these owners are asked about the quarterback coach, whatever it's going to be, you can't just say, no, I don't like him. Like, I mean, you got to kind of play the game and just say, oh, yeah, I love Sam Darnold. Uh, I think the, the Panthers are just, I have no idea, because they've become so unpredictable because of David Tepper and how impulsive he is. You know, I, do I think they're going to draft a quarterback number six? I really don't, but... If they did, like, okay, like, it's the Panthers. Like, nothing would surprise me with them right now. So I'm really interested to see who they pick because they're just – they're one of those wild-card teams that uh, – they're becoming one of those teams that they can do anything and we shouldn't be surprised. Frank Schwab, Yahoo Sports. Do you think Debo Samuel get involved in a a deal uh, come draft day? Or do you think it's uh, one of those till after the draft? I don't know. I – it's getting messy, but we've seen things get messy, and then you know, money uh, money solves all. So maybe the Forty ers just decide to pay him. I don't give up a player like Debo Samuel. I just don't. I I kind of just say you know we're, we're going to keep him. We're going to figure it out as we go. He'll get paid in time. We'll figure out where this is all going. But if I'm the San Francisco Forty ers and I was just in the NFC Championship game. I'm not trading Debo Samuel. I'm just not. I, I just. Right. Uh, I would just say, look, if you want to sit out, you can sit out. Uh, that that's your option. But it's not going to do you any good, and it's not going to do us any good. So you better report to camp if you want to get paid this year. And I, I just think that, uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't panic if I was the 49ers and give up a great player. And I think John Lynch said basically that this week, where he said, well, "We're not interested in trading Debo Samuel." Nor should you be. He's he is he's one of the great playmakers in the league right now. Yeah. So. I don't think he's going to move, but I can see. Look, if San Francisco just thinks we cannot pay what Debo Samuel wants, we need to get something now while well, his value is at its absolute peak. I could see it. I could understand it. I wouldn't do it, but I could see it. So I think maybe I'm like 80 20 that he stays with the 49ers, but we'll see. It could get really interesting, especially with, again, all these teams having multiple first round picks. Is, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo involved in some kind of a trade to maybe a Seattle? No, not to Seattle, but or is he sticking right, yeah, with the 49ers the division, as well? Yeah. I, I don't think so. I just think Jimmy's stuck. I think Jimmy is stuck waiting for an injury. I, I don't know why. Wow. I mean, I, it, it, there's not a team out there. If a team wanted Jimmy, I think they would have done it already. And I just think he's, yeah. he's going to be stuck on their roster for a long time waiting for some opportunity <laughs> to open up, whether it's injury or something else. What about Baker Mayfield? Same. Uh, and I, it's weird. And, and that's why I'm kind of, you know, when we talk about how many quarterbacks are going to go in the first round, uh, and I'm always, I'm really, really low on that. I think there could be as few as one because mm-hmm. maybe, I mean, maybe in a, in a real, real stretch, there could be none because we look, look at the teams that really need a quarterback, and it's like, I don't know that necessarily any of these teams are really that worried. I mean, the Saints do have an option. They, they do have Jameis Winston, and mm-hmm. and the Steelers have Mitchell Trubisky. And all these teams you can mention, they they already do have a guy, and that's why Jimmy hasn't moved. That's why Baker Mayfield, I don't think, is going to move. I just you look at these teams, and they're just like, well, well we've made our decision. We're the Falcons. We're going to go with Marcus Mariota, and if we stink this year, we're going to have a really really good quarterback class next year we could pick from. So. 
I just don't think that either of those quarterbacks are on the move, and I think that in the first round of the draft that it's going to be a lot fewer quarterbacks than anybody thinks. Maybe it'll be proven wrong, but I really believe that in this weak quarterback class, nobody's going to be that excited to use a first-round pick on any of these QBs when you already have some kind of option in-house you're going to use this season. Yeah, you know, football's really changed. But when I was a kid, man, I mean, there were great running backs all over the place. What's yeah. the last, you know, that, that that doesn't exist anymore, does it? No, it really doesn't. I mean, it's just it's it, it just it's it's one of those things where if you're investing in a running back, he, he in the first round, especially in the top half of the first round, he better be great. He better be, and you just don't because he's not going to have a long career. You just can't bank on it. You can't bank on yeah. eight nine years like we saw out of Adrian Peterson or Walter yeah. Payton or whatever. It's it's now it's hey you're going to get three four good years and is that worth it for a top ten pick? Maybe. I mean if you're in the right if you're the Buffalo Bills, I think the Buffalo Bills are one of those teams in the first round on, on tomorrow. They could draft Brees Hall, uh, the running back out of Iowa State, because they're like, okay. we have everything else. We just, it's a luxury pick. Let's just take them. It gets us closer okay. to the Super Bowl. But yeah, I think everybody else is just, it's tough to be a running back these days because I think everybody's kind of figured out that, boy, unless you are just special, 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 uh, don't use a first round pick, don't give them a big second contract. <laughs> Uh, it's a it's a busy day in our part of the world. We got the draft. We got the Pelicans and the Suns game six, yeah. and those two might collide. Right? It could be it could be um, Brandon Ingram with the ball at the top of the key for the win, and the commissioner walking up with the with the envelope <laughs> to the podium for the first pick. I mean, you don't know. I know, right? And I, I look. I'm one of the outliers. I'm I'm not. I know every other football writer. The, the draft is our Christmas. I'll, I'll be I'll be having my iPad on that Pelicans game and pay more attention to that. Like I, I just um, I'd be fine if I, this will never ever ever happen in our lifetime. But if if the NFL just released a list of the draft and didn't make it a seven hour production on a Thursday night, I don't know. I, I don't. Never. I just don't nerd out on the draft. It's interesting. It's always fun. Never Enjoy covering it. It's, it's exciting. But yeah, I don't know. I've never understood the appeal of sitting down and watching a draft for hours and hours and hours and hours. I'm with you, buddy. I'm with you. It's a lot of fill time. Frank, thank you so much. I know you're busy. Um, I greatly appreciate the time, buddy. Enjoy. Enjoy the playoffs. Enjoy the draft. And uh, we'll talk soon, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, no doubt, Jerry. Thanks. Hi, that's Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports. The Greater Acadiana Heart Walk will take place this Saturday, April 30th at River Ranch. The festivities begin at 8 a.m. And the non-competitive, come on, come on. You know it's going to get competitive. Well, the non-competitive walk begins at 9.15. For more information, visit greateracadianaheartwalk.org or contact Donna Ashcraft. Okay, how do I say this? Donna dot ashcraft at heart.org crazy greater acadiana heart walk all right back to wrap it all up after this final timeout here's three pieces of advice to live by never play cards with a guy whose last name is a state don't spit into the wind and always listen to the jordy holberg show on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All righty, finishing touches. Special thanks to our guests, Christian Clark on the Pell Suns, Blake Topmeyer, SEC spring football around the league, Ralph Marlborough, Jeff Duncan, Frank Schwab, all on the upcoming NFL draft, um, which begins tomorrow. If today is your birthday, April 27th, happy birthday from all of us to all of you. You share yours with 
the Iceman. Come on now. He can finger roll. You know, we're talking NBA's great George Gervin is 70 years young today. Yes, indeed. James, thank you so much for all you do. Thanks to all of you for listening in in whatever form or fashion that you do. We greatly appreciate it. And, of course, we couldn't do it without our partners. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We've got the Astros tomorrow, so we'll be back Friday to recap round one of the NFL draft. Are the Pels playing in a game seven? We'll see. So until then, I'm Jordy Helper. Stay thirsty, my friends. Do everything you can to stay healthy, my friends. Let's be kind to one another, and let's be happy. So long, everybody. Thank you.